The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. One of the greatest 
problems that I have struggled with in my life is how do I have my prayers answered? And I'll be very honest with you, it seemed that Jesus would not answer my prayers, and so I by and large stopped praying. I mean, why pray if there's no answer? And I know I've heard pastors teach God always answers prayer. He says, yes, no, or wait. I think that's a cop-out. Sometimes I have prayed for years and not received an answer. I want to say to you today, if you will meet the conditions necessary for God to answer your prayer, he will answer it immediately, quickly. Now, the fulfillment of that answer may not be quick but he will answer and tell you yes or no. Sometimes the Lord has said to me, no, and don't ask me again. Thank you, I won't. I recognize my prayer was not in accord with his will. So let's look today at this issue of God answering our prayers. Lord, I come today in your name, Jesus, and I call upon your name to give us clear understanding regarding this issue. I ask, Lord, that you would show us the fundamentals of how prayer is answered, that you would, that you would bring a spirit of prayer and supplication into our hearts that we would give up our unbelief that we would know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you love us and that you are a God who answers prayer and that if we do not receive the answer, it's because we have not yet met the conditions necessary for that prayer to be answered. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Now, we've always said at the National Prayer Chapel, and I believe it's still true, that you must have a promise of God as the basis for your prayer. That when you search the scriptures and you find in Mark 11, 23 and 24, command this mountain to be removed and it will be done for you. If you begin to identify that promise and you begin to stand on that promise, soon that promise will come and it will begin to stand on you. And as that promise stands on you, God will fulfill his agenda in your life before he brings to pass the answer for your prayer. But if you have already met the conditions, the prayer can be answered very quickly. 
I came into the prayer closet early this morning and I began to pray. I began to pray for many of you by name. And the Lord was very close. And I knew my prayers were being answered. I didn't have to question. I had the confirmation in my spirit that God had heard me and that he would answer. And I expect to see the results of those prayers in the people that I prayed for. There's a story in Scripture that gives us a lot of information about the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? I asked the National Prayer Chapel that question on Sunday, and they gave me a variety of answers, all of which were absolutely correct. They said the gospel is good news. The gospel is that Jesus has provided the sacrifice on Calvary for you to be redeemed, for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. All of that is true. But what is the gospel in the scriptures? It includes all of that, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. It includes the provision made for you to walk clean before God. But what is the essential enfolding truth about the gospel? It is the gospel of the kingdom of God. It is the gospel, the good news, about the coming of the kingdom of God. Now, we need to talk just a minute about that. We live in the United States of America, and there is a government. There is a federal government. There is a state government. And there is a local government. And we are expected, as good citizens to live under the rules and regulations of that government. Now, Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of God has come among you. What did he mean? He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things that the pagans run after will be given to you. What's he talking about? Well, very simply, the kingdom of God is God's government. So when we speak about the kingdom of God coming, we are talking about the authority of God coming into the earth. And we know from Revelation and many other places in Scripture that the government of God is going to totally take over the world. And that government will operate under the authority of Almighty God. And the laws and the rules and the regulations of that kingdom must be met. So when I come to the Lord Jesus, I come to the Father in the name of Jesus. I come to the kingdom of God. I come to the authority of the kingdom of heaven. Now it is a spiritual kingdom. But that spiritual kingdom is more real than the kingdom of this earth. For the spiritual kingdom will take over the earth and we will live under the direction and the authority 
of the Lord Jesus, and he will rule for a thousand years on this earth before a new earth is created, according to Revelation 20. And it will be a time of peace and prosperity. It will be a time when the Lord God of heaven will institute all of his laws upon the earth. Now, when we want our prayers answered, we must recognize who we're coming to. We're coming to God. We're coming to Jesus. We are coming to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has all the authority to answer our prayers because the kingdom of God is already amongst us. So you're not trying to manipulate something. You're coming for the spiritual authority of the Almighty God that will rule the earth forever, the new earth. The old earth is going to be burned after the millennium, in the final throes of the devil's struggle against the Almighty God of heaven. And we're told in Revelation he will be defeated and thrown into the lake of fire, along with the false prophet, the beast, all that is of the world and the darkness and the spiritual realm of the devil will be cast into the lake of fire. So I'm going to share this story with you, but I want you to be clear. Jesus insists at the beginning of this story that you understand who he is. He is God Almighty. So when we begin to pray, we are praying to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has full authority. He will answer your prayer and answer it quickly if you will meet his requirements. Let's begin in Mark, the 10th chapter. Now, we're also going to go to Luke, the 18th chapter. As Jesus started on his way, he's leaving Judea, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, this is the most important prayer a man or woman can pray. What do I need to do to meet the conditions that I can be a part of your kingdom? that I can have eternal life. But he does not recognize that Jesus is God. And so he calls him good teacher. And Jesus corrects him and says, why are you calling me good? No one is good except God alone. In other words, are you calling me God? But the man was so full of his own struggle, his own discomfort with his religion, that he presses on. Jesus answers, you know the commandments, or you know the laws of the kingdom of heaven. No one is good except God alone, and the commands are these, do not murder, do not commit adultery, 
Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He's quoting the Ten Commandments. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Now, he's not being arrogant. He has been very religious, and he has attempted to keep these commands of the Lord God of heaven. And now he's coming and saying, what must I do? Is there anything else I must do that I could inherit the kingdom of God? That I could have eternal life? Jesus looks at him, and according to Mark 10, 21, Jesus loved him. Now, the scriptures would not say, that Jesus loved him if he detected in this man a lying spirit. But Jesus knew this man had tried as best he could to live in accord with the law. And Jesus loved him. But then he said, One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor literally distribute it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus is inviting this man to come and be a disciple. I wonder if this man would have been the replacement for Judas after he betrayed Christ and hung himself. He's invited to come and follow Jesus. Now, if we go to the story over here in Luke 18, let me read this for you. You still lack one thing, verse 27. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a a man of great wealth. If we look at the Mark passage and we look at the Luke passage and also at the Matthew passage, this story is told three times, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Literally, this man was desperately shocked by Jesus' answer. He was stunned by the answer. It was a a totally unexpected answer. And the scriptures say he walked away sad. Literally, he walked away grieving. He walked away grieving. because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Then those who heard this said, who then can be saved? 
And Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said to him, we have left all to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Now, if you look in the Mark passage, he talks about, see if I can find it for you quickly. Um, yes, Mark 10. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions. Now, how is that possible? Because you become a part of the family of God, and everything belongs to Jesus. But now we need to look at this more carefully. Let's look at this. Let's consider something. Peter answers, We have left everything to follow you. This man has come with a prayer. And Jesus answers his prayer. Now he's in person, but Jesus is also present now in the Holy Spirit. And an honest question, he will give you an honest answer. But it is necessary that we accept Christ Jesus just as he is presented in the gospel. Now, the Jesus in the, in the gospel, if you go back here to Matthew, I'll turn to it quickly. If you go with me to Matthew, the 16th chapter, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Now, if you go with me again in Matthew to what we have called the Sermon on the Mount. There's some very 
important things that Jesus says here. I urge you, read carefully the Sermon on the Mount. Read it on your knees. Chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, or the suffering affliction gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small, but small, a groaning gate. It's so small you'll groan going through it. And narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, here's the problem that I face. If I want my prayer answered, I have to accept Jesus as he's presented in the gospel. If I'm not willing to accept Jesus as he's presented in the gospel, my prayers will not be answered. And I will finally give up praying. I will say, I pray, but the answer doesn't come. I need an answer. Well, Jesus' answer is, you must leave everything you have. You must follow Jesus. You must leave your sin. If you want your prayer answered, you must leave your sin. And if you have been praying and praying and crying out to God for some answer to prayer, And that prayer has not been answered. There is only one possible reason for a prayer not to be answered. And that is, there is something wrong in your life. And that must be straightened out before God is going to answer your prayer. Now, in His grace and in His mercy, He will sometimes answer a prayer even though you are in sin, you're walking in unbelief or you're walking in some rebellious thing or or there is something you don't even realize, but it is against the Lord God of heaven. And in his mercy, he will answer your prayer. He has saved me many times when I did not deserve to be saved. But I'm talking about being able to pray and knowing that your prayer is answered, knowing that you have what you have asked for. Now, if you look at Luke 11, it will say you must knock, and you must ask, and you must seek. And sometimes this will take some time. If it takes time, it's because the Lord wants to know if we, in fact, are serious about what we are asking, and he wants to know if we are willing to give up everything to follow him. So when the Holy Spirit confronts us with our sin, 
I want to share a number of responses that I have observed over time that people have to being told that they must deal with their sin if they want an answer to their prayer. Some will pretend ignorance. They act as though the plain word of Scripture is somehow obscure. It's hard to understand. So they continue to ask for more and more information. If they could just understand, then they would be able to break through. Charles Finney tells the story of a very stylish woman, pastor's wife. She was very religious, but she did not know Jesus. She was very faithful in her attendance at church and supporting her pastor husband in ministry. But the warmth and the life of Jesus, she did not know. And under Finney's preaching, she became very convicted of her lack of the presence of God in her life. And so she went to Charles Finney. He was staying in their home as a guest while he preached in the pastor's church. She went to him and said, Would you please pray for me that I could be converted? I don't think I've ever been saved. I don't think I've ever been converted. I don't have eternal life. Mr. Finney said, Yes, I'll pray for you. And he prayed for her. She went away. But the next day she came again and she said to him, Brother Finney, would you pray for me? I'm not getting through. He prayed for her again. This happened numerous times until finally Pastor Finney became tired of this. And he said to her, No, I will not pray for you again because you are depending upon my prayers. You must pray. Well, she was very upset. He got up and walked out. He went to a parlor that was close by. And there he began to pray. But suddenly this woman came rushing into the parlor where he was seated. Her face was aglow, and she said, I have found Jesus. And then she explained. She said, I wear these ornaments in my hair. And her sense was that these ornaments made her very beautiful. But she considered them as just trifles, nothing of importance. And surely God would not care about something trifling in her hair. And she was right. God would not be concerned about a trifle. But if it's connected to pride and arrogance and hardness of heart, God is going to be very concerned about it. She said, Every time that I would come before the Lord and begin to pray, these trifling things that I put in my hair came up before me. Until finally I said, Lord, 
If these things are between us, I am casting them off now. I am finished with them. And she took them out of her hair and cast them aside and said, I won't put them in my hair again. I'm done with it. And Jesus came. And she was converted. And she left her religious life and became a true joyous follower of Jesus Christ. Well, what happened? This woman could no longer pretend ignorance. Now, I want to say this to you. If your prayer is not answered, as you begin to pray about whatever it was that you need from Jesus, whether it's a clean heart, whether it's a change in your home, whether it's finances, whatever it is, pay attention to what comes up in your mind as you begin to pray about what your request before Jesus is. And if it comes up before your mind, it's the Holy Spirit bringing it to you, and you must deal with it. You must deal with it. Some people, when they are confronted with their sins, will cause a, cause a great commotion. They'll, they'll talk, 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 talk. They may even quote scripture, hoping to sound religious. They may even ask you, how do you dare suggest that I walk in sin? Don't you understand? Don't you see that I'm a good person? I'm honest. I don't steal. I don't lie. I help everyone who's in need. What do you mean when you say that I need to be born again? I am a member of this church. I have been a Christian for years. What are you talking about? And they bluster and they hide and they duck and they dodge. Some, on the other hand, just act bored. Come on. Tell me something new. I'm cool. I have all that taken care of. Let's talk about the important issues, meaning how do I make more money? How can I get ahead in life? How do I deal with my boss? How do I deal with my wife, my, my children? And they quickly change the subject so they don't have to talk about their sin. And frankly, most pastors will never speak with you about your sin. I'm one of those exceptions. I will say to a person, is there anything between your heart and Jesus? And almost inevitably, the answer that I will get back is, yes, but I'm dealing with it. I'm growing. And I say, what do you mean you're dealing with it? You're telling me you love it and you want to keep it and you don't want to give it up. Jesus deals with sin by amputation. If you don't want to deal with your sin, you'll say, oh, I'm, I'm struggling with that, but I'm making progress. Really? No, you're not making progress. You're pretending. Some will will have great confusion. They'll say, how can this be true? 
You're just speaking nonsense about me. I'm, I'm not that way. I just don't understand. I had one person say, Pastor, I've been a good person all my life. You're confusing me. What do you mean I have to be born from above? They've never received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And when I talk with this person, they pull out the confusion card with me. Some will evade the truth. They'll evade it like an octopus. They'll turn the conversation into another direction. They'll spray their ideas all about, hoping you'll not notice, hoping that you will continue speaking with them in a friendly manner without any unpleasantness like talking about their sin. Some people get angry. They act as though they've been insulted. Well, if that's how you're going to be, I'm leaving. You're disrespecting me and my family. We need a life, and the church demands too much. The cost is too high. My kids have other interests. We can't always come to church. That's not our first priority. I've got to take care of my family. You know, this is a hard one. I have people who have become very angry with me, even because of something I said on this radio, and then they they leave the prayer chapel because of something I said on the air. They take it very personal. They get very angry, and they're insulted by what I've said. Instead of dealing with their sin, they become extremely defensive. They become self-righteous. I am a Christian. I don't know what you're talking about. I am born again. I am a mature Christian. But it's easy to see the arrogance in their heart. It's easy to see It's easy to see. Some just shut down. They they pull back into their cave, the cave of bitterness and anger or pain. They have a whole list of issues to deal with that justify their behavior or beliefs. They disappear after making accusations against you. They nurse their wounds. They sulk, even as King Ahab did when he could not have the vineyard. Sometimes they'll blame they'll blame the pastor, they'll blame me. They just don't feel understood by anybody. They say, I'm one of a kind. There's no one else like me. You just have to understand and give me a break. What they're really saying is, Love me in my sin and don't confront me with my darkness. Some are very patronizing and defensive. And they'll say to me, Pastor, you just don't get it. I know I used to think the same way you do, but I found new information. Let me teach you a better way to look at being born again. You're being legalistic when you say that you have to leave all your sin 
when you say you have to stop watching television and movies and DVDs and, and you have to stop going to the clubs, lighten up, Pastor. God knows we're all sinners. He's forgiven us. We just have to do the best we can, and, and Jesus will make up the rest. So forget about this holiness stuff. Let's just be friends. We all love Jesus. So let's agree not to talk about sin anymore. They're too painful and difficult. And besides, that's just the cross I have to bear. And some people just close their eyes and they pretend everything is just fine. They continue in their sin. They act as though they're wonderful Christians just the way they are. Often they're super religious people wanting to teach others the wonderful way that they understand salvation. But usually their understanding is made up of tidbits of information they've gathered from pastors on the radio or the YouTube or on television or Christian magazines. They're like children who refuse to grow up and take responsibility before God for their sin and the sin of their family. They won't confront their family. They won't say, we're getting rid of the television. They won't tell their children, okay, no more cell phone. They won't say to their children, no, you're not going to play that violent video game anymore. We're dumping it. They won't say that because they're afraid of the pushback. They have no real understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And they want it to continue to be a mystery. But they want, Pastor, be gentle with me. Understand I'm doing the best I can do. But some, some of you, when you, can, when you were confronted with your sin, you became humble and sober-minded you admitted your sin. Sometimes you have even cried out, Oh God, forgive me. I'll surrender this to you right now. I don't want it. You've cried out to God for forgiveness. You've made restitution. You repent and receive the grace of God to walk out of this rebellion into a new life in Jesus Christ. And then the glory of God shines in your face and you have the peace of God in your spirit. And when you pray, God answers your prayer. Some people say to me, Pastor, God answers your prayer, but he won't answer mine. Well, let me be very frank and very honest with you. There have been times when God would not answer my prayer. Some prayers I've prayed for years, and God did not answer. Why? Because there was an aspect of my heart and my life that was still not meeting the conditions necessary for God to answer that prayer. When I meet all of the conditions necessary for that prayer to be answered, He will answer it. 
It's not God's fault when prayer is not answered. God is not a hard man. He does not reap where he does not sow. He is not a thief. He is no respecter of persons. He is just and he is fair. Yes, he's merciful. He's kind. He's long-suffering. But there are some prayers you can pray that God will simply not answer until you have met the necessary conditions for that prayer to be answered. And usually the block to having a prayer answered is that there is pride in our heart. There is arrogance in our spirit. When the Lord exposes something in our heart, we must immediately take that before his throne, and we must renounce it. Now, there have been times when God has not answered my prayer, but every time I would pray, he would lift before my face how I have treated someone how I have judged them. When I have asked for something and he has not answered, I've listened and he's brought to mind a debt that I owe. I remember many years ago, the church borrowed $9,000 from a member in the congregation. It was not the Lord's will that we borrow that $9,000. No, I'm sorry, it was $6,000. It was not the Lord's will that we borrow that $6,000. It was flesh. But we did it. Because we had a program that we believed if we rolled that program out, that we would prosper as a church. That many needs would be met. So we borrowed the $6,000. But unfortunately, before that money could be paid back, we met hard times as a church, which I know was the Lord, because we were walking in the human spirit. Now, this was many years ago. Some years after that, This man had moved to California. He got in a very difficult place. And he called me and he said, Pastor, you promised you would pay me back that $6,000. Now I know the church cannot pay it back, but I'm asking you, would you make restitution? Would you pay it back? I was stricken. I'd not heard anything from this man for some years. And I had basically forgotten that I had borrowed it. But I went to the Lord. And I said, Lord, is this why you've not been answering my prayers? Because I never paid this man back. I never made restitution. 
And the Lord answered quickly, Yes, pay Joe back. He said, Lord, I don't have the money to pay him back. So I asked the Lord to give me the $6,000 to pay this man back. And very quickly, the Lord answered my prayer. And I paid him back. And very quickly, after I paid him back, the Lord answered a prayer that I had been crying out to God for a year over, desperately seeking the face of God regarding a a need I had in my life. But he would not answer because I had not made restitution. I had not paid back as I had promised. When I promised, I would pay that money back. I was a thief. I had to repent. And I had to come to Jesus and say, Lord, I will give him back that money. Will you give it to me? And the Lord gave it to me. Now, I have a question for you. Will you accept Jesus Christ as he is presented in the gospel as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Will you accept Jesus Christ? And will your soul consent to give up all of your sin? Will you give yourself up to God? And will you do it right now? As you've been listening to this broadcast, the Holy Spirit is telling me, that there are many of you who have said, God does not answer my prayer. And the reason God has not answered your prayer is that you would not deal with specific sin that God has tried to convict you of, and you have pushed him away. You have refused to acknowledge that sin. And you have refused to leave it. This rich young ruler would not walk away from his wealth because that was his God. And Jesus said, Go, give that away. Come then and follow me. What is Jesus asking you to uncover and give away? What sin rises up before you between you and Jesus? It could be arrogance. It could be pride. It could be lying, stealing, cheating, pornography, It could be uncleanness. It could be be any number of things. But the Holy Spirit will identify that for you. If you'll go to the Lord and say, Lord, I've been asking for this and you have not answered me. Will you please show me why you have not answered me? King David did that. And he discovered that it was something that King Saul had done in the kingdom. That's why there was a famine in the land, and the rain was not coming. And the Lord told him what he had to do, and he did it, and the rains came. If you are not obedient to the Lord, if you refuse to acknowledge what Jesus is saying, you must acknowledge. This rich young ruler was not willing to acknowledge that he had put his trust in his wealth, that that was more important to him than eternal life. 
So he learned what he must do to have eternal life, but he was unwilling to do it. Will you do what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart that Jesus could then answer your prayer? Almighty God, I just know that right now people are convicted. You have spoken to them even during this broadcast about what stands between their heart and your heart. And you're not going to answer their prayer until they're willing to surrender that idea that thought, that action, that sin. You're not going to answer them until they do what you've asked them to do. Lord, would you give every man and woman the courage right now to say, yes, I am done with this. I will do what Jesus has asked me to do that I could enter into eternal life. Lord, thank you. I pray in your heart. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I need your help. Last month, the radio bill took part of the money that should have gone to the month of February. Now February has come, and we're still even more short because we use some to pay January. We need to catch up. I'm asking, please, if the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart to give, would you give? Would you go to our webpage, National Prayer Chapel? Thank you, Joan. Thank you, each one of you who has gone to that page and given in the last week. Would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 